Listener Production. I'm Dr. Sophie Calabretto, and this is The Science Briefing, a podcast about the science of everything. And hey, it's the end of the year, and we're doing things a little bit differently for this episode. So what we're going to do is run through the five most important science stories of the year, at least according to Cosmos Magazine journalist Evram Yazgan. Evram, hey. Yo, Soph, what up? You've written a whole lot of stories for Cosmos this year. And you've managed to whittle it down to a top five. Yeah. So the stories you think made the biggest impact in science this year. Question, did you have any trouble at all actually whittling it down to a short list like this? For sure. I mean, I guess my first inkling was just to list all of the stories I'd written for Cosmos. Okay. Um, (laughs) And then I guess I thought... You know, dinosaurs? I thought you were going to say just all the dinosaur stories. All the like, dinosaur Let's be stories. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, I guess uh, I tried to include some of my co-journalists at Cosmos okay. as well in this list. So it, it's a little bit more representative. And we appreciate that from the bottom of our hearts, Evram. Okay. So in true countdown fashion, we're going to start at number five and make our way up to number one because that's how they do it on TV. Yep. So Evram, kick us off. What is number five? All right. So this first one is all about cybersecurity and the passwords you use for all of your online logins. So so what's your Facebook uh, password? Uh, well, it is the same as my password for, no. <laughs> um, I'm not, you know what, Evram, I'm not going to fall for that. That's, that's fair enough. So yeah, like email, Facebook, online shopping accounts, the works. So there's a software provider, NordPass, which produces password management tools. Mm -hmm. And they collaborated with independent cybersecurity researchers and found the most commonly used passwords in the world. They compiled a list of the 200 most used passwords. Uh, Can you guess what was the top of their list? Well, I feel like people do dumb things like numbers. Like I, because I remember, no, I don't know if I'm going to tell this story. One time when I was in a place, they had this little thing that you could, (laughs) you could control the lights with this little thing on the wall. But it was password protected. (laughs) And I kid you not, the password for one of them was 0000000. And the other one was 133456. It turned out that if you got into this thing, you could turn the lights on and off in other people's (laughs) offices. Okay. Well, that's not, I guess, the most dramatic thing that could happen with that. No, I didn't. We only used it for funny, good badness. No, it wasn't destructive. We didn't do anything destructive with this power. Well, you may be able to use that power for destruction because the top of the list, the most commonly used password in the world was one, two, three, four, five, six. <laughs> like legit. Um, and the second most popular was the word password. No, if you're going to do that, you should be at least be password one, two, three, four, five, six. <laughs> All right. Make it a bit more complicated. For some reason, and I have no clue why, ranked third in Australia was Lizotte's. And it's the name of a popular restaurant in Newcastle. Again, what? I've just got no clue. <laughs> Something weird is going on in Newcastle. But let's go to Lizards. Like, it must be great. I haven't it actually heard great. of it. But like, if that's number three, that's outrageous. I know. Maybe it's really good. So the, the research found that it would be obviously super quick for hackers mm-hmm. to crack these passwords uh, less than a second. So I guess research like this helps us be smarter when it comes to choosing passwords and how we can stay secure online. The upshot is don't be lazy when picking your password. Right. So no dinosaur one, two, three, four, five, six for us then. <laughs> no. And Evram, 
Speaking of dinosaurs, ah. <laughs> <laughs> nailed it. For Go number on. four, we're going from the digital age to the Triassic period. What can you tell us about this story? Obviously, I'm very excited already because I said the word dinosaur. I know that you're just about to say the word dinosaur as well. I know, but before I do, I've got to say, even for a fluid mechanist, that segue was fluid. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Ephraim, you just got a raise. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. I mean, yeah, how could I not include a dinosaur story in this list? I am the undisputed dinosaur king. Mm-hmm. And actually, this dinosaur's name may be good for a password. This year, paleontologists found Africa's oldest dinosaur, a 230-million-year-old dino with a long neck. Its name is Mbiresaurus, so it might take a while for hackers to find that one out. Mm -hmm. It was found in Zimbabwe and is believed to be an early relative of the famous and massive long-necked sauropods like Diplodocus, Brachiosaurus, and Apatosaurus. It's cool because in the past, the Americas and Europe have seen the majority of fossil discoveries. Now places like Africa, India, China, and Australia are emerging as hotspots for fossil finds. It also gives scientists an insight into how the giant sauropods which roamed all over the Earth in the later dinosaur periods evolved. Love it, Evram. And, you know, I know that we discussed digging up dinosaurs in our backyard, so now mm. we can go to Africa to do that as well. Looking forward to our next uh, Cosmos team family holiday. Absolutely. And now back to the digital age, Evram. Take us through number three. What is it? I think it's it's quantumish, maybe. Yes, it is quantumish. Uh, so prepare to be dazzled and bemused. In a tiny, tiny, tiny way. Despite being tiny, it was a big year for quantum computer <laughs> research. <laughs> Thank you for that. There were several firsts this year, actually. And, you know, quantum computers are all the rage because they're expected to be thousands or millions of times faster and able to solve mm -hmm. much more complicated problems than current computer technology. And we love that as a people, fast and better. There were a few breakthroughs this year that I want to zip through. One of them, an Australian team of physicists and computer scientists developed a coherent quantum simulator. Mm -hmm. And what that means is they made a breakthrough in silicon-based quantum devices it was the first in the world to mimic a carbon-based molecule structure. We also saw silicon quantum bits show promise for super high-speed quantum internet. Mm. Pretty cool. hope it's better than the NBN that I'm, <laughs> I've got in this place right now. I think there was a bit of a delay there, Sophie. Sorry. Sorry, I can't, I can't hear <laughs> Sorry, you. Sorry, what? Can you? Someone's digging a hole in the street to fix my <laughs> NBN for the sixth time this week. Moving swiftly on. <laughs> Things have also been wacky uh, with a quantum computer in New York leading to a new phase of matter with not one, but two time dimensions. No, stop. Yes. <laughs> no, no, back up. Explain. No. <laughs> explain. Instead of explaining, I could just point you to the cosmosmagazine.com article, which explains this very thoroughly by yours truly. Oh, I love it. I'm all over it. I'll do that after this. Brilliant. Two time dimensions. I'm, I'm aware there are many dimensions, but usually there's just one of time. Th that's correct. Also, we believe. We believe. Oh. So we know how important computers are in everyday life. Quantum laptops are a while away, but discoveries like the ones I've mentioned are taking us a step closer, I promise you. I'm really looking forward to the day that I, I can get a quantum laptop and it's tax deductible for like, work <laughs> purposes. <laughs> It'll probably have a really dumb name, unlike quantum laptop. Oh. Yeah. So we've done dinosaurs, quantum, we've done passwords. Let's get onto something a little bit more organic or maybe not so organic. Question mark. Number two, 
We actually did a full episode on this a few weeks back where I may or may not have revealed my addiction to low joule <laughs> Ribena cordial, which is still, it's still a hearty addiction. This is the story about purple tomatoes, which I loved because I want all of my food to just be weird colors. I oh, know, right? I mean, purple tomatoes, that's all you need to know, really. These genetically modified fruits were approved for growing by the U.S. Department of Agriculture in September. Mm-hmm. Not only have the Tommy Toes color been altered. <laughs> what? What are you laughing at? Tommy Toes? Do, yeah. we, do we pronounce these purple tomatoes slightly differently? No, that's, I look at the word tomato and that's what I say. I'm sorry, Sophie. All right. Go, sorry, I, that was very judgmental. I apologize. Please continue. <laughs> Tell me about your Tommy Toes. The fruit has enhanced nutritional value with high antioxidant levels. Mm -hmm. Very good for you. It's true. There was an ad in the 90s, I think, that told me about that. Mm. There was like a smarmy mother who the kids thought she was saying, auntie who? And she went, antioxidants. They help to keep your body healthy. Do you not remember that? Every time I hear antioxidants now, there's that judgmental (laughs) woman from the 90s. I think it was an ad telling us to eat healthy things or something, but just don't... Don't sass your son. He just asked a question. (laughs) No, I just remember a campaign in the 2010s trying to force everyone to eat blueberries all the time. Uh, I prefer prefer a different berry. I prefer Tommy Toes. (laughs) (laughs) Studies suggest that these purple Tommy Toes have definite health benefits running contrary to the GMO is bad for you argument. Yeah, I'm into GMO. I think if you can can modify it to make it better, that's fine. Perhaps such developments like the purple tomatoes can see a change in how genetically modified crops are regulated and we begin to accept them in Australia and around the world. Okay. And so number one, Evram, I don't know what this is. I didn't want it to be spoiled for me. What Mm -hmm. is your take on the hottest, now the hottest science story from this year? Like it's a big call. Mm -hmm. What is it? Don't disappoint us. Okay. So obviously... Like I mulled over this quite a bit, Mm -hmm. but I felt like there was no other option than the James Webb Space Telescope. Sure. I can see that. I've met you before. I get that. Yeah, exactly. How could we not talk about this? I mean, it's the successor to the Hubble Space Telescope and it started giving us stunning images of the universe this year. Like absolutely spectacular images. At the beginning of this year, Webb reached its final destination over a million kilometers above the Earth. By April, its instruments were aligned and they were calibrated in May. But its first full color photo drop came in July and this wowed people all over the world. People lost their minds. Absolutely. I mean, scientists were talking about how it brought them to tears and uh, it was great. It was the first time that Webb took the infrared data that it had collected, converting it into visible light. It has shown us the universe in all its glory with beautiful swirling galaxies and eye-catching stellar nebula like Hubble, but with even more detail. It broke Hubble's record for the most distant galaxy ever observed. It's also given us insights into the first stars in the universe, and it's shown us the chemical makeup of the atmospheres on other planets outside our solar system. So look, I mean, these are just my top five. I mean, they're obviously the best top five because they're mine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, you know, you asked me to narrow it down to five, so I did. here they are. And you know what, Evram, I love you for it. It was beautiful. Thank you. And thank you for such a wonderful year smashing out the science briefing with us. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you. I have had such a wonderful time looking forward to our science briefing future because this is a delight. It's been a pleasure. 
Thank you, Evram. Evram Yazgin is a science journalist for Cosmos Magazine. You can read more of Evram's reporting by heading to cosmosmagazine.com. But also, if you're a fan of the show, don't forget to subscribe. You can download the Listener app to listen for free or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Just search The Science Briefing. The Science Briefing is produced by Listener and the Royal Institution of Australia. This episode was produced by Jake Morecambe, mixing by Dave Stein. I'm Dr. Sophie Calabretto. Catch you next time. Mm-hmm.